Navigating storms can be one thing, but trying to do it whilst dealing with ATC clearances which don't suit the weather are another. In this episode, I'll discuss a flight I had last week and the potential for disaster if not handled correctly. All this and more coming right up, so strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 105 of the Flight Training Australia podcast. From Jandicott to Jervis Bay, Jabiru to Jindabyne and everywhere in between, this is the podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. G'day, I'm your host Trent Robinson and thank you for joining me. So before we get into our episode today, just a quick update for those of you planning on heading up here to do some flying with me. I am pretty much booked out. <laughs> Unfortunately, at present, I don't have much space. Uh, basically, January is full. February is getting there. Uh, I've got uh, two instructor ratings that are looking like booking in there, which is not going to leave a lot of space. And then I'll be on leave for the last week of February, first week of March. And uh, yes, it's time to plan ahead. I know a few of you have talked to me about doing instrument ratings and other things which I'd dearly love to do with you. But um, if you are thinking about doing that, it's uh, getting time to uh, really try and lock things in. So if you're heading up doing some top end courses with me in the 210 instrument ratings or anything else, do get in touch. Let me know what you think you're doing and I'll be able to give you some options. All right, so into this episode's topic. We've had some fantastic weather up here the last week. Um, it's all starting to show up. This morning we woke up to some really intense storms, lightning right overhead and thunder, which was just amazing. All the, the green tree frogs in chorus in the garden doing their thing. And uh, it's really awesome. But you'll see some of the photos I posted online. But when I say great, you know, it's usually reference to when I'm on the ground or in bed <laughs> listening to it and enjoying it. Um, or if it is in the air, there's plenty of space between uh, myself and the weather. I have spoken before about being assertive on the radio and not allowing ATC to fly the aircraft. And what happened the other day uh, certainly falls into this category. And that's really what uh, was concerning me. Not so much our situation because it was well in hand uh, to, the, to the most part, but as it was all unfolding, I was just thinking to myself how a less confident pilot or less experienced pilot would have handled the situation. Naturally, the majority of flying I do is with uh, student pilots or, or pilots doing check flights and that sort of thing, and I often have to interject and question the clearance that they just read back as they've simply read back what was given and about to try and comply with it when we probably just literally made a plan and said precisely what we didn't want and why. And they're just going to follow whatever ATC asked them to do without really thinking about it or questioning it. And in stressful situations, we we tend to do this. And it's very, very important to have a bit of a think about it and be of the presence of mind to realise when a clearance that's been given is not what we want or it's going to potentially uh, put us in harm's way. Now, before continuing, uh, this is no way an attack on uh, Darwin ATC or any ATC for that matter, any controller. 
everyone's human and we all do our best at the jobs. We're all learning, we're all training, we're all uh, trying to achieve the same outcome. But it is an example, I feel, of how things could have gone pear-shaped and in several instances, as I'll, I'll soon discuss. And if we weren't assertive and controlling the show and basically saying what we needed and what required, what we could and couldn't do, it could have definitely had a different outcome. Now, the thing to remember here is a controller is looking at a radar image of all the aircraft in their sector. Their prime focus is safe, safe separation from one another. All right, They rely heavily on pilot input and feedback on weather separation, operational needs such as our approach requirements or any other restrictions in flight. Whilst they may have the Bureau of Met radar on their screen, it isn't overlaid with traffic information which makes it virtually impossible for them to provide any form of uh, traffic separation that's of any use anyway. So let's set the scene. This was an IFR training flight out of Darwin. The plan was uh, to fly the Cessna 210, Echo Oscar Charlie, and uh, we were going to head out to do a runway 36 GPS approach or an RMP approach and circle to land after conducting some air work over to the west of Darwin at a place called Delisville. And then uh, once we finish some air work, we're going to head across for the approach. Now, our intent was to depart at about 1,400 local, 2 p.m. However, part of Darwin's requirements, uh, not being a training airfield, is that we have to give them a call just to uh, make sure that they've got room for us and they can facilitate our approaches and uh, based on all the, the inbound traffic sequences and the like. Now, Darwin offer fantastic with this. They're really flexible. I've found them to be great in this sense. Sometimes the message doesn't always get through, but uh, they always try and facilitate what it is we need and work really well with us. So they asked us in this case to delay for about an hour. And, you know, apart from wanting to go home on time, we didn't have a big flight. This wasn't a drama. However, to the east was a considerable thunderstorm. Now, being the build-up at this point in time, the storms approach fairly slowly, uh, so this wasn't moving westbound uh, with any real speed. So wasn't overly worried, but at the same time, you know, the sooner the better as far as Darwin in the afternoon goes is typically when the storms are going to be most active. But an hour passed and we figured it would be enough time to get our approach in. So by the time uh, the time came, had a look at the radar, it was certainly still menacing, uh, but still slow moving and my student elected to have a go. Now, the thing to remember here is operationally, we didn't actually need to go where the storm was. It was perfect VFR conditions overhead Darwin and to the west of Darwin. So we had plenty of exit strategies, plenty of alternates, and at the end of the day, we didn't even need to go if it was really that bad. All right, but there was a slight time pressure that uh, my student had a flight to get out the next day, so we kind of needed to get it done that afternoon. So whilst we didn't need to go to where the storm was, for example, the purpose of the flight was to fly the approach, which was close to the storm front, given another half an hour, 45 minutes time. So anyway, we decided to go have a look. And before we got airborne, uh, the first test was presented by ATC. Tower, tower, g'day, Echo Oscar Charlie at Echo 2, ready in turn for departure. Oscar Charlie, Don today for traffic management on Echo Cross Runway 29 Tactile Point Delta. There's faster falling blind. Echo Oscar Charlie, correction to my last. Hold you at runway 29. 
holding short runway turn on Echo Oscar Charlie. All right. So what was as a PC-12 was sitting in behind us, that was the faster following, not a normal uh, phraseology for on the ground, but it all made sense to us. The problem was there was an aeroplane out to our left on short final. Now, how many times have you been given a clearance and asked to cross the runway or cleared to cross the runway and not actually checked to see that it is indeed clear? So a student did a fantastic job. You may have noticed he didn't respond to the clearance at all because he was looking at me indicating he saw the aeroplane and final going, why have they cleared me to cross the runway? So it just goes to show whether you're an OCTA or at a controlled airport, you, the pilot command, are the last line of defence. It is absolutely crucial that you check the approach and departure to the runway to make sure the runway is clear especially at uh, outside controlled airspace uh, aerodromes where the lights are light winds, you could be potentially coming in from either end, not just the end that you think um, you should be using and, and where everyone should be coming from. This is Charlie behind the 402 that just touched down on Echo, cross runway 29 behind taxi on point Delta. Behind the 402, cross runway 29 at Echo, taxi Delta, Echo Oscar Charlie. So as you can see, the controller immediately realised uh, the mistake, corrected the call. We didn't move an inch and no harm done. All right, so once we departed, we did a general handling and uh, after that we were ready for the approach. So I asked my student to have a look uh, at the situation, make sure they're happy to uh, be ready to commence the approach, which really involved have a look at the weather radar and uh, the like, make sure it was all doable and then uh, when they're ready to make the call to head across to the uh, instrument approach. Now, part of that is we don't have weather radar in this particular aircraft, so we were relying on good old Oz runways to tell us what was going on in the area. Now, unlike the air traffic controllers, as I said earlier, they uh, can't overlay the weather to the tracking, but Oz runways and Avplan, all those sort of things do. So we got the charts up, the instrument approach waypoints all sequenced up with the weather radar overlaying that. The only difference is that, as we know, there's up to a 10-minute time difference between what's displayed on the, the chart and the actual weather. So by using the advancement of the different uh, timestamps of the weather, we can sort of transpose where the weather would be another 10 minutes into the future, which is basically where it is right now. Now, for those who are unfamiliar with Darwin, let alone IFR procedures and RMP, an RMP approach or a GPS approach, imagine or two five nautical mile long legs, so two legs five miles long each aligned with the runway, followed by three more five mile legs fanned out at the end. So one aligned with the runway, basically making it a now 15-mile final, and two legs either side at 70-degree angles coming in. Echo Oscar Charlie, track director on Sierra Charlie, into the hold at 3,000. Director Sierra Charlie, into the hold at 3,000. Okay, so Sierra Charlie is the southeastern five-mile leg that's approaching the 10-mile final position for runway 36. We've got a storm front approaching from the east of Darwin, and this thing was a good 30 nautical miles wide. 
and we're out to the southwest of Darwin or west-southwest of Darwin over Delisable tracking to the waypoint Darwin-Sierra-Charlie. So each waypoint, uh, they, they're changing names at the moment, but there's three different waypoints and our initial approach fixes Sierra-Charlie. All right, so this is where we're heading off at the moment. And it's sort of at this point that my students realising that actually, you know what, Sierra-Charlie is kind of right where this weather is and it's a little bit too close to the front uh, for our liking. So we wanted to do Sierra Charlie because that's where the published approach or the published hold is. Across the Charlie, you can just a bit of a hold, uh, Sierra Charlie. There's just two VFI aircraft we're trying to get in before the weather hits the field. So we're in this position now that there's other aircraft being affected by the weather. So... Because we're IFR, they want us to hold where the published holding point is. Now, this was a requirement for the flight that we were doing, but at the end of the day, we can hold anywhere if we have to, and it's really not that crucial. We could do it another time. So the student's currently being led a little bit by ATC, encouraging them to head to Sierra Charlie, even though they can see that this isn't where they want to go. And it's pretty much to facilitate other aircraft getting into the airfield that are, uh, you know, needing to get in because they're being more affected by the weather at the moment. So it's at this point we decide to uh, request to go to Sierra Bravo, which is the 15-mile final position for the 3-6 RMP approach. All right, so that's all pretty good. We uh, cancelled the hold and we decided to head across to Sierra Bravo, which is, like I said, the third five-mile straight-in leg. So it's a 15-mile straight-in approach essentially for runway 36 and we're holding at 3,000 feet. But we're starting to get banged around a little bit with the weather. Even though we weren't in cloud, we were visual, but we were getting a lot of clear air turbulence at this point and it was starting to get quite uncomfortable. We knew that we were safe. If we needed to, we could just bug out and head to the the west if need be, but definitely uh, needed to make sure that we stayed clear of this weather because typically something this size, we want a good 10 to 15, 20 miles uh, away from the leading edge of this storm front. All right, so one of the requirements was we wanted to do a circling approach to practice that coming into Darwin. And it is essentially just coming into a altitude, usually around seven, 800 feet thereabouts, and doing a semi-low-level circuit either back onto the runway we're on, the opposite runway. In this case, Darwin's got the cross runways. We could break off and join runway 29, which was the duty runway at the time. So because this was a Darwin, this then required some sequencing with other inbound traffic. And despite us saying that we couldn't go to Sierra Charlie because of the weather coming in, the circling requirement or our request then changed the way that the controller wanted to handle us. And then the following exchange took place. Cross Charlie, Roger. Actually, there's no hold at Sierra Bravo. Track Sierra Charlie and enter the hold there, please. 
All right. So now my students sort of been lulled into a, uh, well, we'll do what the air traffic controller wants because we've already said that Sierra Charlie's no good with the weather. We've gone to Sierra Bravo, but now because there's no published hold, uh, controller was wanting us to go back to the published holding point and that's where we just told them we didn't want to be. But my students sort of relented and accepted that clearance to begin with until they sort of realised actually, you know what, this isn't going to work for us at all and I can't do that. So they did catch up with things and, and mentally um, prep it. But, again, if you're sort of feeling a little bit intimidated or anything else, you could very easily go with it and sort of dump the logic and reasoning that you've just applied and do what they've asked. Charlie, just confirmed there will be just no circling, just the approach to 3-6. We'd still like the circling enabled. Echo Charlie, Roger, just due to traffic, there will be delay. I can't advise you how long it will be at the moment. Echo Officer Charlie, copy. Yeah, we still request visual tracking uh, south through weather. Okay, Oscar, Charlie, Roger, hold as required at Sierra Bravo 3000. Hold as required, Sierra Bravo 3000, Echo Officer Charlie. All right, so we've managed to sort it all out and we've uh, explained our case. ATC understands what's going on now and we're visually able to remain out of cloud and hold as we need to just to keep some separation away from this storm front because that was really our prime concern. We just cannot go that way. Of course, as I said, we didn't need to be there. If it, if it was just operation not required or anything else, we would have just come back uh, either on the approach or come back visually downgraded to VFR. We had all these options available to us um, which would have, would have got us out of uh, harm's way and no big deal. All right, so finally after a little while we've uh, reached our opportunity to do the approach and we've been cleared the RMP approach and then circling for runway 29. So essentially what we're going to do is track north, come down on final and as we approach the runway will break off to the right and essentially fly a left circuit, left down and left base for runway to Niner. All right. Now, this is where things got interesting because as we're doing the approach, we're getting smashed around and bumped and banged and moved around. But anyway, student did really, really well, flew the aircraft uh, nicely, managed everything. We slowed right down, manoeuvring speed. We got the gear out early stabilised everything and we just took our time because, again, going fast, uh, exceeding VA, we're running the risk of overstressing the wings, overstressing uh, the airframe, the control surfaces, all that sort of thing. So making sure that we know our VA speed, we were well in control. We, uh, we're moderate turbulence, but it wasn't anything too gnarly, um, although there was a couple of bumps on the head on the roof but we were okay. And that only lasted a very short period of time and we were out of there. If it was going to be much longer, we already had the plan that we were going to track west and uh, just get away from the leading edge of the storm front and then make our way back into Darwin. 
Now, as we were doing this, one of my, uh, if you've been to my wet season seminar or uh, listened to any of the uh, the CASA seminars and things, anytime there's a big storm coming, there's always going to be a thing like an outflow boundary, which is a big almost bow wave of airflow ahead of the storm front. So it's kind of like a microburst where all that airflow is moving through. And that's obviously going to impact the the wind uh, direction at the airport. Top request wind at the uh, eastern end. Wind at the centre of the field, 300 zero zero degrees, 17 knots. Roger, 20 knot uh, tailwind at the moment at 1,000 feet. Not surprising with the storm, thanks. All right. So Top End was coming in uh, into Darwin Airport. This was uh, EJET. And as you can hear, they've requested the wind. Now, this was on tower frequency, so we didn't hear this at the time. And this is what I found quite interesting and leading up to our situation that's uh, coming up. They were given the wind of uh, 30017. And you notice that the captain there asked for the wind at the eastern end of the field. The controller said this. Wind at the centre of the field, 300 degrees, 17 knots. Wind at the centre of the field. All right, so Darwin has a windsock in the centre of the airport. There's one at each end of the thresholds as well, runway 11, 36, 18 and um, 29er. So the only issue there is that they don't have wind sensors. So the only wind information that they're getting up in the tower is from the central windsock. That was fairly key to this whole thing that then is coming up next because if you know about wind shear and all this sort of stuff, this is where airports started having more windsocks around the airfield and wind detection devices to pick up wind shear and variance in wind because, again, if you're trying to plan an approach to a runway, and, uh, you know, when you're like Darwin, if it's a three-kilometre-plus runway, you can very easily have two different winds at each end. And I've seen this multiple times before, and I was about to see it again. So there's the key there. Anyway, a few moments later, this happened. And uh, 161 uh, going around uh, when you're on final. So not at all surprising. With a 20-knot tailwind on final, they just weren't going to make that work. Now, where I found this interesting, I, as I said, I didn't hear this in the air because this was on tower frequency. And this would have been quite useful information because here we are coming down the 3-6 approach, getting ready to turn right and come in on runway 2-9. Now, I was already watching the wind and curious as to what it was. And unfortunately, because the way Live ATC records in Darwin, it's all on the one channel. So it just scans through ground, tower, approach, et cetera. Uh, and so it doesn't necessarily capture everybody and every radio call. And it didn't capture my exchange with the tower. So we transferred to tower and I questioned the wind because I could see this storm approaching from the east. It wasn't too far from the field. It was probably about six miles at this point. And I'm like, yeah, right, this is getting a bit tight. So we decided to do a fairly close downwind and base just to minimise our circuit spacing and make sure that we could get in uh, on the on the runway and, and minimise our chances of uh, getting affected by the wind. 
So I requested the wind and I was advised that it was about 300 degrees at 15 knots, very similar to what we heard before. So we broke visual, we broke off as cleared for our circling approach onto 2.9. And it was at this point that I looked at the runway windsock at being the 2.9 threshold. I could see, as I kind of expected to, dust blowing down runway 1-1. So there was very clearly a tailwind on 2-9. And this is what I was worried about with this outflow boundary of wind blowing through the airport ahead of the storm. And sure enough, the windsock was at least 15 knots. Now, I found it odd that I had not been advised that an aeroplane had just previously gone around um, because of the wind. So here we are in a little 210 and a E-Jet has just gone around uh, because the wind was too strong on final. So I do feel that this was something that the ATC probably should have passed on to us. And listening back to the tapes, this wind of uh, at the centre of the field, 315 was given three times to us and other aircraft. And that indicated to me as well, now that I've listened to it in, in, in hindsight, they kept saying the centre field wind, meaning I'm pretty sure they had – idea that the 2-9 wind was, uh, you know, turning. It was changing direction to runway 1-1 and the storm was affecting the wind at the threshold. But they kept insisting on calling out this other wind and not saying anything about the visual indications that I'm sure they must have been able to see. So anyway, I made the call to go around. It just, there was just no way in hell we were going to be landing with that either. And we requested a right-hand downwind for runway 1-1 for a full-stop landing. Now, there was several airliners on the ground waiting to take off. This would have probably forced the hand uh, to have to do a runway change. But despite that pressure and not wanting to upset everybody else, there was just no way we were going to be landing with those sort of weather conditions with that storm pushing up behind us, and we had to do what was right for us. So in the end, all's well that ends well. But I think um, you can sort of see how if you're a bit more nervous, less confident, less familiar, all these things, um, you could be led into or being put into a situation that's not going to be suitable for you or the aircraft and not necessarily, not argue the point, but have the confidence to say, hey, this is not going to work for me. I need something else. and. The controllers will figure it out. That's their job. But you just can't be accepting clearances that are going to put you in danger. All right. So I just wanted to share uh, that with you. It's uh, always a learning journey, isn't it? There's always heaps to, to see and do and experience. And even in a controlled situation like where we were then, there was still the potential for things to go wrong and like I said, in less capable hands, I was just worried that uh, 
You know, we don't want anybody getting into strife and, and not asking for help or questioning clearances that are given to you. So hopefully that's helped uh, give you a bit of an idea of what you can do next time to make your life a lot better. Um, obviously not be in the air at all is, is always the easier option. But again, this sort of weather and storms and the wet season side of things, there's nothing to be scared of. It's just got to be well managed and you've got to be decisive. You, you can't allow uh, external factors to sort of influence your decisions too much and, and get yourself into strife and have a bit of a scare. All right. So there you go. That's uh, our story for the week. Um, I'd like to do some more of these too, just talking about uh, flights and things that have happened, either my flights or others that are here along the way. Again, not to point fingers at anybody, but just to, to learn from all our mistakes or triumphs. Um, or just the scenarios or situations that come after day-to-day flying. So if you're keen on that sort of thing, let me know. And uh, if you do hear of any exchanges or anything else going on that uh, might be good, let me know where it was, what frequency, the uh, UTC time, so I can try and dig it up, have a bit of a listen, and uh, review the situation. Alrighty, guys. Thank you again for listening. I hope you have started your Christmas shopping. We haven't got too long to go. You've got some awesome aviation-themed Christmas presents already selected, uh, ready for your favourite aviator in your life, if it's not for yourself. All right, everybody. In the meantime, as you know, blue skies, stay safe, and remember the golden rule, aviate, navigate, communicate. Cheers, everyone.